communication will never go out of style. And you're going to be an effective communicator when you find the vehicle that works for you, not only in terms of consistency, but in terms of authenticity. Successful brands are rooted in purpose and driven by the potential to make a positive impact on their customers. Welcome to The Pursuit of Purpose with Amy Austin. Each week, Amy brings you practical advice to embrace the power of purpose in all aspects of your business and transform it into the central storyline for your branding and marketing strategies. My guest today on The Pursuit of Purpose is Michelle Hunter from Michelle Hunter Creative. Michelle and I met a number of years ago and just really became long distance friends and I would say maybe business encouragers on occasion. And I wanted to talk with her today about content strategy because I think right now, especially content is really getting a spotlight shown on it because of marketing and other strategies not feeling as authentic or as appropriate, maybe is the right word, for the time that we're in right now. And so I reached out to Michelle and asked her if we could have this conversation because Michelle is a great content developer and she agreed. So here we are. Michelle, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll dive into the content conversation. Sure. Thanks, Amy. I appreciate being here. I'm so excited to talk to your audience. I am a content strategist and copywriter with a passion for communication and for crystallizing the message that you have not only for your business, but for your life and putting it out there in the world so that it can impact the people around you. I primarily work with clients to help them figure out what that core message is and then find the best platform to put content out consistently so that they can expand their impact in the market. That's what I love to do both for entrepreneurs and for corporations. And I think now more than ever, we're seeing the importance of content. So I think this conversation is really timely and I appreciate you inviting me. Michelle, what do you think is the most important thing that a business needs to think about as it relates to content? Maybe we need to even take one step back and say, by definition, when we say content, I know what I'm referring to, but maybe we need to make that clarity known so that we aren't making assumptions that sure. people listening to know what we're talking about. I think loosely defined content is any type of creative work that you put out there. So photography can be content, etc. But for the purposes of what I do and for this conversation, I define content as any way that you communicate your message. So it can be video, it can be podcasts, it can be articles that you publish in a print or online. It can be guest posting, it can be blog posts on your own article. It can even be social content. So some of the posts that we put up on places like Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or Pinterest can I consider to be content. The driver, or I should say the filter I'm using for this definition is this. Are you communicating a message that's aligned with your business or with your purpose? If you are communicating a message that's aligned in that way, you're creating content, even if it's a social post, even if it's a tweet. 
primarily, I think the most important or the most valuable content that we put out is content that's evergreen. So things like blog posts, podcasts, videos that people can find repeatedly over time, turn to again and again, and that have kind of a shelf life, if you will, versus a tweet that's going to disappear over time or a Facebook post that's going to appear and then go away. I really kind of want to focus on that evergreen content that you can use to build a knowledge base around what you do and around your mission. I agree wholeheartedly with that definition. I think it is important to to recognize that those social posts, while they are an element of content, they are not as long-standing as what some people I think probably believe that they are. Because when you think about the usage of social media, how often do you go to a business page and scroll back months of their posts, especially if they're very active, you could be scrolling for a long time if you wanted to try and read all of their posts. So it is important to recognize that there is a time frame in which those posts are, very, are relevant. I think what's also important to consider is the way that the user consumes the content. When I go on Facebook, it's in my downtime, meaning it's in the evening or in the morning before and after my workday or during a break. I'm scrolling and I'm looking for quick bits of information, but more importantly, I'm looking to be entertained in some way or inspired in some way or motivated in some way or to connect with people that I know. I'm not necessarily going to Facebook to look for to look to be educated, to look to be informed beyond a certain level. And so what I'm saying is this, that Facebook or social media serves a different purpose. It's more of a transient or kind of a superficial or entertainment type purpose where a blog post, a video, a podcast, I'm coming to that with a question in mind, with something I want to try and learn or explore. And I'm in the mental space to take some time and dive into that topic that creates a larger opportunity for the content creator to make a lasting impact on me. And that's one of the things I love about, if you will, long form content versus social content. You can develop an idea, you can start a conversation, you can ask some thought provoking questions in a way that's gonna make the consumer of that content pause and go away and think about it later. That can happen sometimes with a social post, but it's not as prominent in my opinion. I agree with everything that you just said. And, and what was running through my mind when you were saying that is it's important to understand the intent or the purpose that you have for each piece of content that you're developing, whether it is a short form content that goes on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, or a longer form piece such as a podcast or a blog or an article or case study, what, whatever those longer form pieces might be. Now, additionally, you need to think about how are you going to promote those longer form ones? And then that comes back to when you do need to realize those short form pieces will work to help drive traffic to those longer form. Oh, I agree 100%. I think we don't think about if we're not marketers, if we're not salespeople, if we're entrepreneurs or thought leaders, and we aren't really thinking in a sales context, we can miss this concept that's actually foundational, which is that every piece of content needs to have an intended next step. So when you put out content, if your intended next step is that someone's going to th just think about it and perhaps take action, that's fine. It doesn't have to be a call to action to go purchase, but it's important to not create content kind of willy nilly without a purpose in mind, because that's how 
that's how content ends up falling kind of flat. So I work with clients who tell me, you know, I've blogged for years or I've been putting up videos and I don't seem to be getting any traction and I don't understand why people aren't engaging. And when we dig a little deeper, one common problem with that is that they don't have an end in mind. They don't have a next step in mind. So therefore, when the reader or the user consumes that content, the door isn't open for them to take some kind of action that would let the content creator know that that content had value for them. So like I might read a post or listen to a podcast and think, wow, that was really good. But unless there's some motivation for me to take action, the person who created it will never know I had that impression because I'm not going to share it. I'm not going to go out and post it. I'm not going to do anything that's measurable in any way. And therefore the person who's creating the content can feel deflated. Like, oh, I'm doing all this and no one cares. Actually, people probably do care, but you haven't given them a reason to let you know that. And so one of the points that I would want your listeners to come away with is that when you create content, if you can just ask yourself, what do I want to happen next? And weave that into the content you're creating. Sometimes you can just say, if you like this, go ahead and share it. Thanks. Exactly. Give them little breadcrumbs. Yep. And, and don't assume that they know what to do next. I think Donald Miller says that a lot in his work with StoryBrand. Don't assume that your audience knows what you want them to do. You need to be blunt. You need to, you need to hit them over the head and say, no, I need you to share this or I need you to take this action. And you're right. It is something that that's so easy to overlook. You just get so ingrained in this idea of, I want to share this piece of information out that it's easy to neglect that idea. What do I want them to do with this? Right. I know I, I struggle with that, even with my podcast to some degree. And I go back and listen to my first several, I didn't have a strong call to action in them. It was more just me wanting to get my, my, my information out in front of people in a way that felt right to me. And so now I'm being more conscious as I put together new episodes of, all right, what is a call to action that I can put into this? Whether it is simply just saying, please rate and review or share Mm -hmm. this, or if I have a relevant offering that I can put in there, there has to be a certain degree of that. But there's also the fine line of you want them to you don't want it to be so intrusive that they don't want to come back and listen to another episode too. Right. So I think you're kind of hitting on something I want to say about sales, which is that my clients are often on one of two ends of a, of a continuum. The first end is I don't want to be salesy. So I'm not going to mention sales. I'm not going to offer anything. I just feel like that's a little cheesy. And so they shy away from it. The other end is the people who sell, 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 which is also a turn off. Both of these are turnoffs to your listener, believe it or not. The sell, sell, sell model, of course, we all kind of instinctively know that's a turnoff, but truly not having a sales message at any time is also a turnoff. It's just more subtle. People will say, well, I don't know if she even has anything to sell, or I don't know if he even wants me to buy, or that's a little odd, like, or maybe they won't even consciously realize it, but it's a bit of a turnoff. It is not only just okay, It is actually preferable to have an occasional sales message that says, you know what, this is exactly what I do for people. If you think that's interesting to you and you want to talk more about it, contact me. That's not cheesy. It's not pushy. It's just a sales invitation. And so I explain it to my clients this way. 
First of all, your sales message should never be more than about 10% of your content because you don't want to overwhelm. But if you believe in what you're doing, if you think what you're doing is beneficial, you have an obligation to invite people to participate. Just like if I were having a party and I called you up, Amy, and I said, hey, would you come to my party? That's not intrusive. That's an invitation. If you said, no, you know what? I can't come on Friday. And I said, really? Because it's going to be a really good party. Come on, Amy. You really have to go. You know, I'm really excited about this party. And I think you should come, Amy. Amy, please come on, come. That would be annoying as heck, right? But if I just said, once, Amy, I'm having a party. If you think you have time on Friday, I'd love to see you. And you said, oh, I'll think about that. And then it dropped. That's me being friendly and welcoming and approachable. That's the view we need to take to a call to action in the content we create. Be friendly, be welcoming, be invitational. Invite people into your business or into your organization. Invite them to get involved in what you're doing and then drop it. Like as long as they feel welcome, some will take action if it fits for them and it will not be cheesy or sleazy or all those sales things that I hear people say. Exactly. Let's talk a little bit, Michelle, about how do we come up with more ideas? Sometimes that's something that as I've coached clients through getting started with developing content, they seem to really struggle with, well, I don't know what to talk about. I don't know what would be interesting to my audience, or I'm going to run out of ideas. What do I do then? I have some ideas about that, but share what you feel works and then we can go from there. Sure. We were talking a little bit offline, Amy, about a great book by Marcus Sheridan called They Ask You Answer. And I recommend it highly. I use that with my clients. And here's why. So in that book, he talks about content creation and building the framework of what you talk about or the content you create around questions that people have within the context of your mission, your work, your organization. That is so incredibly powerful because if you think about it, People come to life with unanswered questions. They're looking for information. They're looking for knowledge. Very few of us just go out and look for Wikipedia without a question, right? We're Googling. We're looking for questions. We have things we want to answer. Content we create is most valuable. It's most searchable. It's most helpful when we align it with the questions our people have. And so if you're having trouble coming up with ideas, I would recommend just setting a timer for 10 or 15 minutes and force yourself to brainstorm. What is every question I've ever heard about my work? What is every question I can think of? If I were someone who didn't know anything about this, what would I want to know? Write down a list of those questions and then create content around that. And here's why that's so, it feels a little foreign to us, but also why it's so powerful. It feels foreign because we already know the answers, right? So like even the question we started with the podcast where you said to me, Michelle, how do you define content? That's a question that I can answer on my blog. I can answer in a podcast. I can answer in a video because people have that question. I don't have that question. Amy, you have an idea of what content is. So it's not a question that I'm going to naturally just decide to answer. If I come to my blog to just write something, I'm more likely to write about right at a higher level than the understanding of the people I'm trying to attract. Again, that creates content that's not super usable for the consumer. I can talk about marketing theory. And Amy, I know you have a background in marketing. We can have a great conversation about marketing theory. The problem is your listeners probably don't care much. If I follow that rabbit trail, I'm making content, again, that is not aligned with the needs of my audience. But if I can organize my content around questions someone has, 
then my content is relevant to them. That approach has always been important, but I think it's important now more than ever because in the middle of what's going on in our world right now with the pandemic, et cetera, most of us have an infinite number of questions about our life and about our world. And we're not thinking beyond the next few weeks. And so your content, we as content creators have an obligation to be a part of the solution, to be a part of motivating people in a way that gets them out of a place of fear and into a place of proactive care for themselves, their business, their family, their community, their world. We can do that with content just by answering the questions that are top of mind for them and then creating a path to a higher level of thinking. I'm familiar with Marcus's book as well. One of the things that I have always done, even before I even knew who Marcus was and about his book, I would tell clients, think about the questions that you are getting asked and write them down. I remember working with a software company and they were getting ready to go to a a big trade show. And I told them, I said, you know, the biggest thing to me that you can take away from that, that will help with your long-term marketing goals is to sit down at the end of the day and have a debrief of what questions were you asked by those people that were coming up to your booth during the day and write them down because that is a treasure trove of content ideas right there. Because if they have those questions, you can guarantee that there are other people who have the exact same question. I love that. And it ties right into something I tell my clients often, which is go where your target audience is engaging. Be that Facebook, LinkedIn, investigate the questions they are asking and the conversations they are having amongst themselves to gather ideas for the content creation that you put out in the world. So for example, I was in a, an entrepreneurial group that was relevant for my target market and people were having a debate, which is more effective for marketing, Facebook or Instagram. And I realized as I watched the back and forth and different people shared opinions, I realized I had an opinion about that. And also that people were missing the mark that Instagram is now owned by Facebook. And so it's kind of uh, different iterations of the same platform. And so I realized I had something to say in that conversation. So in my queue for my blog now is a post about that topic because I know that it's top of mind for the people that I want to connect with and that I have an opinion about that. Which leads me to another um, point I wanted to make, which is that sometimes we don't create content because we don't feel like we're an expert. And so I'm not a Facebook marketer. So I might say to myself, if I weren't me, I might say to myself, who do I think I am to write a post about Facebook? I'm not a Facebook marketer. I have an opinion though. And I have an opinion that's based on experience. It's based on perception. It's based on some basic marketing knowledge. And so I can add to the conversation. It doesn't mean that I'm going to say in my content, this is absolutely 100% the way everyone needs to do it. But I can say, you know, in my experience, I think it's helpful to think about this. When it comes to content creation, it's important to not filter ourselves based on our own perception of expertise, but instead think about how we can add value to the dialogue that's going on out there. Right. That's an excellent point. Back in the day when I tried to write blogs, I believe that was probably around the time when you and I first connected, I always struggled with feeling like I was writing down to people. Mm. 
I knew enough about it that I felt like I was, I was discounting what I should be writing about as being, well, they already know that. Maybe that's, that's a better way to say it. Mm-hmm. I felt like, well, if I know this, certainly other people know this. Right. And it was a hard, it was hard for me to step away and realize, no, there are things that I know because of who I am and because of my experiences and because of the work that I do that other people don't know because of their own experiences and the work that they do and their own expertise. And being able to get comfortable in that space of writing about something that I felt was so elementary and recognizing that it might be an advanced course for somebody else. Exactly. I love that. I love that realization. And you know, it's so valid because I define communication maybe a little bit differently than some people. I define communication as creating an understanding between the communicator and the consumer of that communication, whatever that looks like. So if I'm speaking to my three-year-old grandson, I have to speak a certain way in order for the information in my head to transfer into his head. And if I'm speaking to a client in a one-on-one setting, I have to evaluate where they're at and then dial in my conversation to meet them where they're at and move them to a deeper understanding. What makes it challenging, to your point, when we're creating content, we don't have that interface because it's it's kind of one-sided. Although I would challenge myself on that. It's not actually one-sided. It's just that we don't see the other side. The other side is consuming. It's and kind of is... the illusion of being one-sided. Right. And so we're talking to, we're, we're writing, communicating, talking, doing a video for an unknown them. And we perceive in our head what they or them, what they know, what we think they know, what they ought to know, what, you know, all of that. And I would just ask you to kind of set that aside because it's unknowable. And instead, I like to start the content I create, just like we did this podcast, with a few basic definitions. So those who may not be as aware of the topic have a foundation they can build knowledge from. And sure, maybe 80% of the people who come to my content already know that definition. Okay, they'll just keep reading, or they'll keep listening, or they'll keep watching the video. We all listen to maybe a news show and they start with something we already know and we go, oh yeah, I already know that. But we don't necessarily turn it off. We keep listening because we know there's more coming later. I've had the same feelings about talking down to people that you expressed, Amy. And I think we need to reframe that and actually say that we're speaking to a wide audience and we can't know the position of each person in that audience in terms of their knowledge of our topic. And so it's important as communicators that we bring everybody to the same level of understanding and then go from there. And so that always is going to include some remedial conversation, if you will, or some refresher information for those who already know it. Right. A great example that just came to mind when you were defining that was, I don't know if you've read the Harry Potter books. A lot of people mm-hmm. have. I'm, I'm so old. <laughs> I haven't. They're good. I would yeah, recommend I them. <laughs> but if you read those books, she starts off every one of them with a brief recap mm. of who Harry is, why he's living under the stairs at the Dursley's home. There is that certain amount of, we need to just set the scene. Correct. And bring people up to speed because you can't assume that they've read the other books. Mm-hmm. So you need to bring them into that context 
And she does that with every one of them. Every book of that series all starts off the same way with some level of setting the scene and, and recapping where they were at the end of the last book and how they got to where they're at, or even the bigger picture of this is why Harry is here. And that's exactly what you were just saying of we need yeah. to realize that not everyone who is consuming our content has been on the same path with us the entire time. And that there is a certain amount of bringing them, bringing them up to speed that has to happen with the content that you're creating. That's such a good analogy. It's perfect. And it, it brings to mind to me a similar analogy that goes to consistency. So I don't know if you watched Game of Thrones or if you've read the Game of Thrones books. So there, you've read Harry Potter, I've read Game of Thrones. So George R.R. R. Martin wrote a series of Game of Thrones books and then he stopped the most recent book or the pending book, he kind of paused on the writing. And so the show followed the books that he had written so far. And then when the series got kind of weird, it was because they ran out of his written content and they started other writers, other screenwriters took, all, took over the storyline and they changed it. And so there's been some, if you're a Game of Thrones person who watched Game of Thrones, there's some disappointment with the way this the show ended. Part of that's because the canon or the writing from George R.R. R. Martin ended because he failed to consistently put a book out in the same cadence. So authors are told or, or encouraged to put out books in a series in a certain cadence so the readers understand when the next one's coming so the story doesn't get dropped. The frustration Game of Thrones people feel has at its base the fact that George R.R. R. Martin didn't keep to the cadence. That's relevant for us as content creators. This goes to why consistency is hugely important. I'm developing a relationship. I blog. I'm developing a relationship with my readers through a regular blog post. When I fail to show up consistently with new content, I'm disappointing them because they have an expectation to continue to read. But more importantly, I'm creating uh, an impression of what it's like to work with me. I'm saying that consistency is not one of my values, that they can't really count on me to do what I say I'm going to do. It kind of goes to integrity in a subtle way. People don't say, well, I'm not going to work with her because she doesn't keep her promises. But it creates like a hesitancy when they engage with me, a question that they might not ask, just kind of a feeling. Because people work with us based on trust. And content creation is one of the most valuable tools I know of in this digital market to build that trust. And so consistency and trust go hand in hand. And that's why when we get into a cadence of regular content creation, we need to continue it. It, it becomes really kind of important. I hear people, I hear clients kind of take a lackadaisical attitude to their to their content creation. They say things like, well, you know, I got busy, so I just didn't do another blog post, or I just didn't I didn't, you know, I kind of got off track with my podcast and recording episodes because I was busy or I did videos for a while and then I sort of quit. You're, you're creating an impression that probably doesn't benefit you versus consistent creation or consistent publication that creates a rhythm that will reap results in your business and it will reap results in your audience. Like you'll build traffic, you'll build relationship through that consistency. Yeah. So I have two things that came to mind while you were describing that. The first one is that transition between the original writer of Game of Thrones mm -hmm. to someone else writing 
not only disrupted the cadence, it also disrupted the voice. Exactly. And the voice is so important because if, you know, it was written in a certain style, was written in a way that it was very consistent over the course of all of the books that he wrote, which then translated into how they portrayed them on the screen, that then when that stopped and new writers took over, they tried their best to be able to create something that was done in the same voice that the original had created, but they fell short. Yes. And that's why there's that disappointment because even though somebody may not be as in tune to the fact that there was that change, if I would have watched it and not known anything about the books and the author and known that he had stopped, I probably still would notice that difference between this suddenly seems like a very different show. Absolutely. And that's, that is why understanding the voice of your brand is so critical in developing content. Yes. And the second thing that I thought of as you were saying that was you and I have had the conversation before about the consistency that I had or didn't have when it came to writing a blog. Because for me to sit down and write feels like a huge chore and something that is not, I'm not as confident in sitting down and writing for myself. I have no problem sitting down and writing for my, for my clients. I can do that all the time because Mm -hmm. it just naturally flows for me to write about somebody else. It's much easier to do that. And I think, I think that's just human nature, right? It's easier to do something Mm -hmm. for someone else than it is to do for our, for our own abilities. But the other thing was that because it was such a block for me to write for myself, I never was consistent in writing a blog. Never, never. I could go back and find binders and folders full of ideas that I had written down of, oh, here's a blog post idea. Here's, a, you know, here's some more content ideas that I'll put in. I'll write eventually about it as a blog that I never did. But a year ago, when I decided that I was going to start a podcast, that felt much more comfortable to me because I can easily have a conversation with someone and to have a po- to do a podcast to me is like sitting down and having a conversation with someone. And then when I am doing interviews, it is a conversation mm-hmm. with someone because, and I'm just recording it and I'm going to go back and do some editing and then I'm going to share it with anybody who wants to listen to it. So I have been consistent with this platform in a way that I was never consistent with blogging. And I don't know that I would have ever gotten to the point of being that consistent with blogging. See, I love that. I love that you have that awareness and that you found your groove of what feels consistent to you. And I would encourage everyone who's listening to this, who's interested in creating content to do something similar. I hear, or I consume media that says blogging is dead. Video is the wave of the future or podcasting is it not video or you know, blogging is the way like, don't worry, but podcasting is like a flash in the pan, all of that stuff. Here's what I want to say about that communication will never go out of style and you're going to be an effective communicator when you find the vehicle that works for you, not only in terms of consistency, but in terms of authenticity. So I write a blog because I write all the time. I have journals everywhere. I write, I I get ideas and I write all the time. Someday I might even write a novel, who knows? I'm wired to be a writer. And so for me to write a 2000 word blog post, I come to my computer within an hour, the draft is done. 
it's really not a big deal. Like that's the way that my brain communicates. It just fits me. Put me in front of a video camera and it doesn't work very well. Put me on a podcast. Now I'm, I'm enjoying this conversation with you and I can see that I could have conversations with guests and I could do the interviewing, but the technical side of it and the concern that the technical stuff would be right, it would limit my ability to freely express what I'm trying to communicate and I would not be consistent with it. But I can consistently blog because that aligns with my passion. And more importantly, I can show up authentically in a blog because I don't have all those mental blocks and emotional blocks that are making it feel awkward for me. Your audience, each of us, actually, if we're going to communicate, if we're passionate about communicating, we have to find the vehicle that allows us to show up consistently and authentically, whatever that is. So if you, let's say, you know, I write, you podcast, let's just use video then. We'll pick on that. Neither of us are doing it. Let's say someone is loving video. They show up, they shoot the video. They think it's great. They like doing Facebook lives. It's their element. They're loving it. And then they get some advice from a business coach or a peer, or they read a blog post or something that says video is a waste of time. And they get demoralized and they try to shoehorn themselves into another way of creating content. That's just, I think, a travesty. Like we have to be really strong in what we know about ourselves and in the message we want to deliver and then find the vehicle to deliver it and ignore all the stuff that says it's not the best way. You can do it better. All of that. Because it's just noise. It is. When you find the space that feels the best to you, it is easier to do. You want to do it. And that comes through to your audience as well. You know, Very like I, I enjoy reading your blogs and I've, I comment on them frequently of, you know, I think that you've really hit the mark or I love the story that you shared with it. I mean, I even remember a few years ago, you had written one about a teddy bear. Mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly now what the, what the topic of it was, but I, I remember reading it and appreciating how you had woven something as well known as a teddy bear into a concept that was not that well known. I mean, I, I appreciated that, that just juxtaposition maybe is the word I want in putting that together. And that was how many years ago? I mean, a long time ago. And, and, and it- I still remember that. And like you said, for me, it's easier for me to sit down. Granted, it took me a few times to get used to talking into a microphone and not having anybody in front of me that I was talking to, but it's easier for me to sit down and do that and go back and edit the recording of it than it ever was for me to sit down and write. And when we find that, you need to leverage that because I think too, People have told me when when they listen to different episodes of mine that they can hear the passion that I have for the work that I do. They can hear the they can hear my curiosity about whatever topic it is that I'm interviewing someone about. I can't convey that through written word in the same way that I can convey that through my voice. And I I can. And I cannot communicate as effectively via video. And I do all right on a podcast. I can, I can always talk. Oh my goodness, that's never been a problem. But you know, the technology would be off-putting for me. And what comes to mind as you say this, another example is um, a job interview or a sales conversation 
versus a friendly conversation. So if I, let's do the sales versus friendly. If I met you in a coffee shop, Amy, and you were like, so tell me about this new offer that you've just created. I would tell you all about it. I would be very relaxed. I would just open up and I'd be like, oh, I'm doing this thing and it's amazing and I'm so excited. And this is who it's for. And this is, I'm thinking I'm going to price it this way and blah, blah, blah. But unless I'm practiced, a sales conversation feels much more awkward. And yet it's really the same thing. I would point. I would still be saying the offer includes these things. It's for this person. This is the pricing, but it's going to land differently because I'm hesitant. I'm awkward and I'm nervous. That's what would happen if I tried to commit to create content using video versus writing. When I'm writing, I can be excited, relaxed, talk fully, you know, be very authentic. The passion that I have can come through in video. I'm worried about how my hair looks. I'm worried about if I have broccoli in my teeth. I'm worried about the lighting. I'm worried about if people are going to think I'm too thin, too fat, too old, too ugly, you know, whatever. All that keeps me from being present on video and it keeps me from communicating passion. Instead, I'm communicating nervousness and people perceive that nervousness as being about the offer instead of being about the medium. Mm-hmm. So it's not good for me to force myself into a situation that feels so awkward that I can't I can't communicate effectively within it. Well, and it goes back to context. You need to understand the context of the situation of what the person is dealing with. Everyone has a story that you don't know and you don't, you know, you don't understand the full depth of it. Yeah. That's an excellent point. It all comes, it all comes out. Mm -hmm. And if you are not thinking about how you're going to how you're going to present, if you haven't practiced and are confident in it, you're not going to be as clear and you're also not going to be as consistent. Absolutely. And I have found myself coming back to those three words a lot in the last six weeks. How can we be clear? How can we be confident? And how can we be consistent? I think those three things are challenging during what was our previous normal into even more challenging now in this time of uncertainty and are going to continue to take on new meaning as we move beyond this into what becomes whatever our new normal looks like. Because our new normal is not going to be what our past normal was. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I think that we've all come through a period of fear and anxiety, and now some of that is starting to abate but we're still dealing with the uncertainty of next week, let alone three months from now. Not only are we individually feeling that, but the people that we're trying to communicate to are feeling that as well. So the earlier point you made about needing to set a framework, needing to retell the story so people are on the same page, that's even more important now because our attention spans are a little shorter, our stress is a little higher, we're closer to overwhelm, than we were previously. And so we content creators need to be more aware of the needs of our audience. We need to be active listeners and observers of the trends of society, and we need to adjust our content accordingly. So I don't, I want to show up in this time modeling the core values of my business, which are integrity, generosity, clarity, and practicality. I want to give practical advice in a clear way, in a generous way, and I want to have integrity. 
part of that mission is meeting people where they're at. And in order for me to meet you where you're at, I need to understand where you're at. And then I need to change my communication to align with that. So I don't want to lead with a fear message like, oh, the pandemic and you're not going to this and that. People can go to the national news to get that. There's no reason for them to come to my content to get that. I can understand that they're feeling fear and anxiety. I can meet them with a calm presence, with a hopeful message, and then turn our focus to practical things they can do to move into the recovery in a good way. That's what I can do the most to help in this time. And I think that that's that's actually the power of content. Content was so powerful before this, it's even more powerful now. And I think it's gonna continue to have value, incredible value into the future because When the economy opens again, we're still going to be hesitant to travel. We're still going to be hesitant and fearful to go into work. We're still going to not want to mingle with people, at least until there's a vaccine. We're going to be worried at some level about our health. Those those stressors, that anxiety is going to be with us for a time. And so if we can create content that people can consume in their home where they feel safe, content that meets them with a calm message, with a practical message, with an actionable message, that's shining a light of hope and normalcy into what feels like a crazy time. And I think that we're going to find if we are consistent in creating content with a positive message, not a Pollyanna message, but uh, the sky really isn't falling chicken little. Here are some things you can do kind of positive message. And we're consistent with our voice. I think that We're going to lead people out of the chaos and we're going to build a lot of trust around our brands and just, you know, I think it's the right thing as humans to do. And so I'm, I'm incredibly passionate about it. I know Amy, that you read my blog posts and I really appreciate your comments on them every week when I put them up. You've probably noticed that I start out posts right now, acknowledging that there's a pandemic on, right? Like I'm not going to pretend it's not there, but then I start talking about, what's next? What can we do now? Here's some things to think about. You're going to be okay. I want to be part of the recovery. I'm not playing into the hype and the fear. And I could, I have thoughts about that, but I'm filtering my thoughts in a way that can add value. Right now, the value that I can add, the most important value I can add is hope and calm. In a month or so, or maybe sooner, maybe later, I don't know, but sometime in the near future, people will go back to wanting my marketing advice in a more actionable way, in a way they might want to pay for. And that's fine. And then I'll adjust my message. But right now it's not about monetization for me. It's about building the trust and loyalty around my brand. And it's about being of value to the world from my basement office as I'm sheltering in place, just like all the rest of us. Right. Right. You know, when I think about, as you were saying that, that's why I started a daily email that I sent to anybody who wants to subscribe that I'm just calling marketing in minutes. And the whole point of it is just, here are some things that you can do right now for you to remain confident, clear, and consistent in what you're doing. And it is a way for me to do exactly what you were just saying, to provide some level of support and help and hope during this time when none of us really know what to expect. 
-hmm. And we're all in the same boat, but how can we consistently show up in a way that is valuable? And that was not something I'd ever done before. I'd never, you know, now I'm going back to, well, guess what? Now I'm writing a daily email. Um, (laughs) But I also have a very clear idea in my mind of what that email looks like. It's very Mm -hmm. short. It's very sweet. It's just, you know, it's here are three things that you could do, or here's an article that was helpful for me, or take a step back and think about these three things as it relates to what your own customer is going through right now and how can you then support them. And it feels like the right thing to be doing Mm -hmm. that aligns with who I am as a brand. It aligns with my voice. It is a compliment to what I've always done. It's just now being done under this umbrella of we don't know what tomorrow is going to look like or what next week is going to look like. But there are, I think the message, I love that. And I think a a hidden message in all of this is what does this crisis make possible for you right now? What does it make possible for others in our community right now? Yes, it's, there's a lot of negative. I am not discounting that. I'm not trying to be tone deaf but what does it make possible? My husband and I are building a puzzle in our living room. We're having all kinds of great conversations that a month ago we were too busy to have. Am I grateful for this situation? Eh, Not so much, but it's making a level of intimacy, uh, intellectual intimacy in my marriage possible, right? right? When people are home right now and they're consuming content because they are stuck at home and you know, sometimes you just gotta turn to YouTube. You just got to listen to a podcast. You have an audience that is hungry for a message of positivity, of practical action steps they can take. They're, they're looking for a lifeline. It's possible now for you to expand your reach and to help more people because more people are looking for help. So the things that we're doing now, I think will continue into the recovery they'll build upon themselves and and gradually the anxiety and the stress will decrease, but the interest and the, the shifts in our society, I think are going to include this more thoughtful approach to life and to business. And I think that that actually elevates the value of content. And so um, to the listener out there who hasn't really found a consistent way to generate content right now, who hasn't, or even in the past, who kind of feels hesitant, not sure they want to dip their toe in, I would say this crisis means that it's possible for you to explore different ways to put content out there and find your voice. I think, Amy, you alluded to it. I've had the same experience. It takes a few pieces of content to find your voice and to get in a rhythm and to feel good about it. So experiment right now. This is a perfect opportunity to do that. And people are hungry for what you have to say. There's a value in what you have to say. Experiment with your message and refine it. Because as the recovery comes, and I believe it's, you know, we're pretty resilient people. I think it's going to look a lot different in May than it looks now. And I think June will look a whole lot different again. I think the recovery is a few months away, but it's not a year away. That's my opinion. People are going to start wanting to be engaged economically with one another, then you can build traction and find your mojo, if you will, find your voice, find your rhythm now, so that when that happens, you're ready, you're cooking on all cylinders, and you're going forward. That is, I think, one of the most important things you can do for your business in this time. And so take advantage of that in kind of a proactive way. That would be my best advice. I I agree completely. I think 
it's amazing to me to see, you know, we have a couple of community Facebook groups and the people who are asking questions about when this is over or when we, you know, when we're moving back into a more normal, whatever that's going to look like, I need to have a new roof put on. So I need, I'm researching this now. Yes. Or I know I need to have family portraits done. So I'm looking for photographers out there. There is a level of which people are taking this time to be able to do more diligent research on the buying decisions that they're going to make in the future. And if we can leverage that by getting our content out there in a way that is answering those questions before they ask them of you, we're going to set ourselves up for a much better, a much stronger return to the new normal. I have, I have a colleague in a business coaching program that I'm in who's in the travel industry. And she, of course, is completely shut down right now. Her business model was to help people plan the trip of a lifetime. You know, your 50th anniversary trip, your honeymoon to Europe, like all of that. That's how she was positioned. She has done this amazingly creative pivot in this time that goes right to your point. She has created a dream tool. I forget what she calls it. And then there's also a social group, but there's a like a social group and she's inviting people for free to come into this group and use the dream tool. And let's talk about that trip on your bucket list. Let's talk about where you want to go. And she's being present in that group and she's advising about, oh, these are places you can stay in the Himalayas. Oh, this is, this is what I would recommend in Germany. And they're having this conversation about what makes a trip meaningful and what, how, to, how to go on a wilderness vacation in Upper Canada. And she's having all these dialogues with people. And she said, in this moment, people are enjoying the opportunity to really dream and to explore and to do their trip planning. And she knows they're not going to travel probably till 2021. So she knows this isn't going to generate any money for her, but number one, it's giving her something to do. And she said, it's like a lifeline for me. Like it's just taking care of my stress. I'm still doing the work I love, but more importantly, she's building community. She's building relationships. She's building credibility and she's creating pent up demand for her business. Cause I can tell you once travel is opened up again, a fair number of the people in her group are going to book. And so they're going to come to her to do and it. They are. They are, and they're going to know what they want because those of us who are service providers, one of the more frustrating things is when you work with a client who thinks they want A, but then they see A and they think, oh, maybe I want B, but then you give them B and they're like, well, I don't know, A did look kind of good. And there you sit on the fence, A, B, C, what will we choose? Her people will have that all worked out during this timeline. And when they are ready to travel, they know that it's a fly-in fishing vacation in Canada and what they have to pack and what it's going to cost. And like, she's doing all the discovery work, all of the ideation. And when the gates open, she'll just be taking their cash. That's, it's a really smart strategy. I almost wish I were a travel agent. That, that's a great strategy. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for this conversation today. I know we need to be mindful of time. Would there be one piece of advice about content that you would like my listeners to, to take away from this conversation? Oh, goodness. Step away from your limiting beliefs about what you can do, what feels comfortable to you, and use this time to actually experiment. Write a blog post, record yourself speaking as if it were a podcast, get Zoom and record yourself on video, and play around with some of these vehicles and see what feels best to you, and then 
go for it. Don't overthink. Action trumps overthink all the time. So just take action. You'll figure it out as you go. There's nothing more important you can do for your business in this moment. That's great. Thank you, Michelle, so much for your time today. I will put Michelle's contact information where you can follow her, where you can subscribe to her awesome blog in the show notes. So be sure and check that out. Thank you again. I appreciate your time, my friend. Thank you. I've enjoyed every second of it. As we have all entered into this uncharted territory of social distancing and remote working, the impact it will have on your business is also uncharted. How should you be communicating with your clients? Should you consider pivoting your business or how you offer your services in order to remain stable during this time? How can you continue to provide experiences you want your clients to have? Sometimes the best thing to do is get a fresh perspective. And for that, I've got a couple of options for you. Subscribe to my Marketing in Minutes messages. These are brief emails with strategies and tactics to keep you consistent in your marketing, clear with your intent and messaging, and stay confident with your business decisions during this constantly changing time. Schedule a virtual coffee, or in my case it will be tea, and we'll spend 30 minutes talking about your business and strategies you may want to implement in the coming weeks. No strings or money attached. The other is buy an hour of my time. I call it a marketing director on call. You set our agenda. We meet on Zoom, so we are following our current healthy boundaries, and spend an hour hammering out an action plan for you to start implementing as soon as we wrap up our discussion. Following the call, you'll receive a summary of our conversation, any action plans we discuss, and additional resources that might be helpful. Because it is done on Zoom, you'll also get a recording of our conversation so you can refer back to it at any time. Plus, you can follow up with me via email, call, or Marco Polo app anytime for three weeks following our call. I'm offering $100 off these sessions through the end of April. It is amazing how much you can accomplish in an hour. Plus, it will end up saving you time and money by giving you a plan of action rather than a guessing game. You can access all three of these options off of a new page on my website at bit.ly B-I-T, dot L-Y, backslash Austin Marketing Support. And marketing is abbreviated to MKTG. I'll also include a link to that page in the show notes. This has been the Pursuit of Purpose podcast presented by Austin Marketing. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast player. Head over to amyaustinmarketing.com for links and resources mentioned in today's show, as well as ways to subscribe and connect with Amy. Thanks for listening.